video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch. Hello, you want my name is Justin McClure. I'm here today with Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast. We go chronologically. No, we don't. It's whatever's new this week. I always want to say chronologically because that's what I used to say on my old podcast, Loose Cannons. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't believe in chronological order here. I just put these titles on the list. No rhyme, no reason. Let's just attack them. Yeah, we just go, like, wild man, berserker style into it. (laughs) All these new Blu-rays and DVDs that have come out this week. So let's start in the cult section. We have I Was a Teenage Movie Maker. Now, when I saw this on your list, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This uh, DVD came out, like, a decade ago, maybe even more than that, and it went out of print. There's a new edition that came out? Like, what is this, Mark? I'm a little hesitant to call it a new edition. Maybe a repackaged edition is more like it. Yes, I bought it myself. It's, I think... The guy who this documentary is about um, and who also made the documentary uh, probably like just hired another company to make a really cheap cover and just repackage the discs as they were. It's like a two disc set that was released back in the day. It's a movie maker named Don Glutt who actually went to school in university with like John Milius and like George Lucas and all those movie brats. And he made a bunch of short films when he was a kid and he was obsessed with special effects and he knew like all the like fans in the community like Bob Burns and Forrest J. Ackerman. And so this set is all of the short films that he made. It's like hours and hours of them and a documentary that he directed himself talking about his shorts. So what's amazing about these shorts is that like there's not really any fans for them. Like they weren't super popular. They're not very polished. He went to the lengths of, like, making a 90-minute documentary about himself and the shorts that he made. It's fun to, like, watch them and have him explain how, you know, he did all these special effects. But he's not a very good filmmaker. He seems to be, like, one of those fans that he was just happy to put, like, a Captain America suit in a short. That's pretty much all that there is. Like, as far as, like, filmmaking or storytelling basics go, it looks like home video footage. You're just, like, pointing the camera and shooting and being happy that it's playing out on screen. Okay. (laughs) So anyone who likes wants, like, the ultimate collection of fan films, I Was a Teenage Movie Maker, mm, perfect. And it does take, like, a level of courage, I guess, to make a whole (laughs) DVD set about yourself. Look, I love that kind of vanity in a filmmaker, so I'm into it. Oh, yeah, total vanity. He did make some feature films in the late 90s, but they were all, like, softcore erotic things. Like, the kind of stuff that would star, like, Misty Monday. Right, right. (laughs) Hitting the big time. (laughs) We also have The Mad Magician coming out from Indicator. It's a 1954 film. What what, what can you tell us about this Yeah, this is a Vincent Price film directed by John Brom. Oh, yeah. So, John Brom is a guy that I actually really like. He has almost like a Brian De Palma-ish style. He directed uh, the remake of The Hitchcock's The Lodger. He did another one called, I think it was The Inhuman Monster. It's like a werewolf film. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Oh, The Undying Monster. And Hangover Square is his other famous film. So I guess they're going deeper into his catalog to put this out. And, you know, he obviously has a lot of, like, cinephile fans because those other movies that I mentioned got really big special editions from Kino. Yeah, and so I guess this one is kind of like, I've never seen this one. Vincent Price plays a mad magician, just like you would expect from the title, named Gallico the Great. 
uh, master of illusion, who I guess is a master of uh, killing people too, maybe with his illusions. <laughs> or maybe he's not the illusionist that kills people. I don't know. There's a mad magician in there somewhere. So I mean, this is an indicator. So it's obviously all tricked out, packed with special features, kind of expensive. Let's be honest. <laughs> it is. If you're a Vincent Price fan, though, I don't think this one has been released by like Kino or something on like kind of a more bare bones Blu-ray. So it kind of is a big deal for Vincent Price fans. What? Out there. It has it like every Vincent Price film has gotten a I big special know. edition. I, I, know. I feel like I might be wrong on that. Somebody will call me up and be like, it was actually on this. Are you a Shout one Factory, of those Shout Factory three. sets yeah. or like, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I mean, those are kind of out of print now anyway, right? And so. we also have V, the final battle being put out by Warner Archives. Are you a V head, uh, Mark? Have you ever I, seen any of that TV I, show? I've never seen a second of Me V. Me neither. <laughs> uh, except for maybe, I think I saw an episode of the new series V from like a decade ago when they tried to bring it back. This is a huge deal though for like 80s kids. When they really, Warner Archive released the fir- the original miniseries on Blu-ray about a year ago and that sold incredibly well for us. This is the follow-up to that, um, the follow-up movie. And then they also did another, like, limited series, which I'm sure Warner Archive will get around to putting it on Blu-ray soon. Yeah, because it's like I don't printed know. I don't money, get the appeal. baby! I know. I think there are a lot of these, like, late 70s, early 80s, like, alien invasion miniseries that really struck a chord with audiences at the time. I imagine it looks fairly cheesy these days, but, uh, you know, who am I to judge? <laughs> yeah, you're nobody to judge, Mark. Nobody. Especially the crap that I watch. <laughs> On the V, um, you know, spectrum, we have Valhalla Rising. <laughs> On the V spectrum. I like Sticking with the theme of Vs right now. Yeah, a.k.a., uh, you know, the title V. There's no aliens in this. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen does not reveal himself to be an alien at the end of the movie, even though that would be amazing. I mean, it's kind of vague, so maybe he's an alien. I, I don't know. More like Valhalla snoring, am I right? <laughs> Good one. So you're not a fan of Valhalla Rising? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it has a fun beginning. It has a fun ending. There's a lot of Mads Mikkelsen riding boats and walking through fog. We get it. Uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, you're Tarkovsky. We I get know. It. We get it. <laughs> it's a, I get it. It's a total Tarkovsky ripoff. I get it. But you know what? I, I think it was actually the first one of Refn's films that I saw actually because I saw it even before watching the Pusher trilogy. I kind of went back to that. Um, and I think I just watched it because it looked like this cool Viking movie that was coming out. I didn't really know much about him. And I don't know. I was really blown away by it at the oh, time. Oh, you're like, it's so deep, man. Refn's taking it to the next level. Wait, have you watched Refn's uh, Amazon uh, TV series? No, I think we talked about this at one point, and I keep meaning to get to it, but it's just like, uh, how long is it? It's like 10 episodes? 11 hours, and it's like supposedly so slow. And like one episode will be like 23 minutes, and the next one will be like 90 minutes. God, see, I am a Nicholas Winding Refn apologist. I, I really like him. You know what? I'll say this. I love Nicholas Winding Refn, but he's such the biggest dweeb in the world. He is the biggest dweeb in the world. <laughs> Every time I hear him talk, I want to give him like swirlies. Yeah, or something like that. I know. <laughs> I mean, I identify with his film geekdom and his love of like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Cannibal Holocaust and like trash like that. I know even stuff like Only God Forgives has a, you know. Oh, I actually really like Only God Forgives. I think I know a lot of people are kind of getting sick of him and 
I feel like a 10 or 11 episode miniseries is maybe a little too much of one thing mm, for me to handle. Yeah. I like his stuff in like feature length. I hope that he just goes bankrupt again. Yeah, um, I know. Like he did after Pusher. Oh no, after he did Fear X. Yes. Forcing him to make Pusher 2 and 3, arguably his best movies. Oh yeah, and I love the Pusher trilogy. If you want to talk about long form Nicholas Winding Refn, I love the push, the whole Pusher trilogy. You're right. I think... uh, long form? That's less than five uh, hours. Yeah, I guess so. That's short. That's short. I really like Fear X though too actually I know people hate that movie but uh, it's definitely... only Mark can see me rolling my eyes right I now know, I know we get it we get it you've seen the shining uh, and you want to make the shine <laughs> all right all right you know you know what I like I like bleeder nobody ever talks about that one you know what Bleeder's actually the one of his I'm not that big a fan of. <laughs> we know who the real fans are I'm pointing to myself right now well bleeder I think is the only one of his that hasn't gotten any sort of DVD or blu-ray release here either nope there's a great scene where mads mickelson just lists off a bunch of directors oh, for God. like uh, five minutes and winding ref and i wrote an interview where he was like oh i should have added my own name to that <laughs> that is exactly what i'd expect him to say but you know that's kind of like why i don't like that one as much because it's a little too much of a like dude works in a video store and i'm just gonna like list off a bunch of movies i like and i'm okay with his homages to certain genres and directors but that one was just a little too navel gazy for me but what i don't know what what can i say i didn't hate it or you a big fan of the neon demon i do yeah i like the neon demon a lot that's all I got. It's the <laughs> most expensive Jess Franco movie it ever is, made. Yeah, that's it's what fun I'll say. though. I like the performances in it. You know, Al Fanning. I, I needed really more like Keanu it. Reeves. Yeah, more Keanu Reeves. He was great. Jenna Malone's really great in it. Um, but yeah, but with this release, Valhalla Rising actually was on Blu-ray, uh, but it was a Canadian-only release for for a while. So it actually never had a Blu-ray release outside of Canada, uh, and that went out of print years ago. So now it's actually kind of on the blu-ray for the first time in the u.s from ifc doesn't have much on it to be honest I think there's like but... a long documentary isn't there that was on the canadian release yeah i think they ported that over but they haven't really added anything else to it um but if you missed out on getting it on blu-ray the first time around it does look beautiful even if you think it's boring so i mean <laughs> <laughs> wait but if it's an american release that probably means it's pretty expensive right <laughs> so uh, agfa and Vinegar Syndrome, I think, got together to put out the McPherson tape. Yeah, it's in association with uh, Bleeding Skull, too, uh, who puts these out. Have you seen this one? Because this is like the first found footage film. Yeah, I actually watched this this week because I'd always been curious about this. So this was kind of a big deal because, yeah, they do credit it as one of the first found footage films. It is very much in the style of what like the Blair Witch Project or like the last broadcast would go on to do. Uh, But I think the thing with this one that got it a lot of notoriety is that it never officially got released. It was made in the late 80s. And I think there was a fire at the original distribution company and it it just ended up never getting released. But bootlegs of it with the credits cut off were being... um, basically we're going around as actual footage of alien as like (laughs) as aliens coming to earth yeah so ufo like freaks would be like oh my god i've got this footage of aliens coming in which is really hilarious when you watch the movie now because the aliens are literally like young children in little green men suits (laughs) (laughs) yeah but imagine the like seventh generation vhs they were watching i know Is there an option to watch it like it was a shitty VHS tape on the Blu-ray? <laughs> I mean, they've cleaned it up, I guess. But, I mean, it very much looks like a shitty VHS tape from the 80s. There are two cuts of it. So there's the original one and then 
apparently there's a 2017 director's cut. I I only watched the original version because I don't I don't know what he's done. I don't think he's cleaned it up that much, but. Yeah, it's definitely, it's rough. It's super rough. It's what you'd expect from a found bush footage movie made in the 80s. But I think it also went under the title UFO Abduction commonly before it was ever known as the McPherson tape. And the director who made it actually went on to remake it a decade later as virtually the exact same movie, but just with like slightly better cameras. <laughs> so I, which, which I haven't seen. But um, I don't know. It's okay. You can definitely see how the Blair Witch Project, it, it does have a lot of things in it that are very strangely similar to the Blair Witch Project or the last broadcast. So I don't know if the filmmakers of the Blair Witch Project ever saw this and took notes from it. It does meander a lot. Like there's a lot. If you thought the Blair Witch Project had a lot of people running around in the woods, this has a lot of people running around in the woods in the dark. I don't think his skill, the director's name is Dean Alioto. I don't think his skill with knowing what to frame in these kind of situations is as good as what something like the Blair Witch Project is, where at least there's like a sense of buildup and like, yeah, you're not seeing everything, but you do get things in the framing that do build tension subtly. Whereas this is just kind of like, all right, we're going to get these people together, this family, aliens are going to come out, and then we're just going to shake the camera around, run around a lot, scream a lot, and that's going to be kind of it. When they first see the spaceship come down and the aliens come out, that's a really creepy moment. As for the rest of it, it's, you know, it, it's a lot of shaky cam and running around. But if you're a found footage junkie, this is definitely like an essential watch just because of its stature as, yeah, one of, if not the very first found footage horror movie. I picked up Garage House's release of Foes, another alien movie that was put out a few months ago. That one's really good. And that one I would recommend watching the director's cut because the movie is about like a bunch of people trapped on an island and like an alien won't stop following them and like picking them up and doing terrible stuff to them. But the original cut of the film ran like 75 minutes. So they edited in all this footage of like generals talking every like 10 minutes that like completely throws off the feel and any kind of claustrophobic feeling of it. So the director with this Blu-ray was able to just chop those parts out so you can actually watch the original version as the way it was supposed to be presented, which is much better than the version that was available all over the place. That one I would recommend, especially that's another like murder drone people just kind of walking and being attacked. And you never even really see the aliens. It was done by a guy who would go on to be like a special effects supervisor on like dozens and dozens of giant blockbusters. And this was like a demo reel for himself. So we also got Glengarry Glen Ross getting a special edition from Shout Factory and it's Shout Select yeah, Live. This is a huge one. We have sold so many copies of this so far. Glengarry Glen Ross is a movie that I never feel like I need to go revisit. Yeah, I remember when I first saw it as like a teenager, it was like one of my favorite movies and I watched it a few like a bunch of times just because like the dialogue, it's so like hard hitting, you know? You're like, I love it. This in the company yeah. of men, all the manly movies. <laughs> I did love in the company of men too at that time. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, did? I'm a big, big Neil LeBute fan here, by the way. So when's the last time you watched it? Ooh, probably not since I was a teenager, to be honest. Um, I know my uh, my partner watched it for the first time maybe a couple years ago because she had just been interested. I took it out for her. And yeah, she was just like, yeah, I can see why people like it, but I couldn't get into it. It's just a bunch of like, just a bunch of dudes like talking. That's it. And I get that. I don't know if it holds up that well. I mean, I really liked just how in everybody's face everybody is. I mean, obviously Alec Baldwin's big speech is like the the big sort of 
you know, moment that everybody talks about in that. But I mean, I always love Kevin Spacey's character getting reamed out at the end by Al Pacino. I thought it was really funny back in the day. Just dudes, dudes being, being dudes. dudes. I mean, yeah, it's a classic, you know, dudes being dudes in the style of like David Mamet type stuff. So, I mean, I, I really, uh, you know, liked it at the time. And Show Factory's put on a few new extras and everything. So they've put a really nice package together. It was on like a bare bones Blu-ray from Lionsgate before, but they've done like a new scan here and put new extras on it. So Yeah, man. Show me the money. That's from Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Tokyo Godfather is, is being put out by Shout G-Kids. This is the uh, Satoshi Khan movie. The guy who did Paprika. Uh, I've never actually seen this one. I love Satoshi Khan. Um, for some I always wait for Christmas to watch this one because it's a Christmas movie, right? And then it just goes and by. Yeah. every time it, Christmas comes and goes, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe next Christmas I'll watch you it. You know what? Everybody who's seen it, like most of his movies, they love it. So easy recommendation there. I mean, if people listen to this haven't seen Paprika, you got to see that movie. It's one of the most craziest animated films ever. Oh, yeah. His stuff's amazing. And clearly Show Factory and G-Kids is just going through the Satoshi Khan catalog right now they've already put out you know perfect blue millennium actress i'm sure they'll probably do a special edition of paprika at some point if they can i'd love to see them release some of his tv anime stuff that i always hear people talk about paranoia agent yeah which i've always wanted to see so hopefully they get on some of that that would be cool we also have oh my god how many releases of jaws (laughs) does the world need has it not been released on uhd before it has never been released on uhd so yeah this is the 45th anniversary, Justin. So, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Every five years. <laughs> every five years. More like every two <laughs> years is a new Jaws Blu-ray that comes out. I mean, it's a really beautiful set. They put it in this big cardboard box with a book and everything. And it's first time on UHD. I don't know. I have to say my love for Jaws has kind of subsided in recent years. I used to love it as a kid, and it doesn't really hold up for me as much I'm anymore. I'm just kind of tired of listening to people talk about how amazing Jaws is. It's like, yeah, I get it. Jaws is amazing. <laughs> Can't we talk about another movie? No, I agree. It's like, it's good. It's good for what it is, but I kind of like my uh, Killer Shark movies to be a little trashier, to be honest. Yeah, so. you like it filled with revenge. Exactly, and, right? Uh, Mario Van Peebles. I agree. I agree. But you know, it's it's interesting. I read the um, I read the Peter Benchley book about oh, maybe five me, oh, years ago. Oh, the novel, you mean? The novel, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I actually have to say, I prefer the novel. <laughs> you are the only person to ever I know, say that. I know. Yo, the novel is way trashier than. Oh yeah, because there's like affairs going. There's on. There's an affair going yeah. on. Like the viol- it's way more violent too. The shark kills are more violent. I don't know. I have to say the the book affected me way more than the movie ever did. I love the cover of the book. The shark looks so lame though. Like he has no teeth. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, he has teeth. In he the book. looks like a rubber kind of like safety jaws. Uh, yeah, he does. Have you read the um, like the famous diary that Carl Gottlieb wrote while he was on set making the movie? No, I haven't actually. Oh, that's a great uh, book. I also read the one that was written by, I, I think, a journalist on the set of Jaws 2 and how much of a cluster uh, fudge that was. Oh, boy. Uh, okay. Jaws, yeah, 2, Jaws sucks. 2 sucks. It's so boring. <laughs> it's the worst of the series. Uh, so we also have Parasite being released on UHD, which you should definitely buy at Bay Street Video. Don't yeah. wait for another uh, prestige uh, Blu-ray company to yeah. put it out or anything That's like that. That's never going to happen, yeah. I don't know. I don't even know why I put this on the list, honestly. <laughs> you want suckers to stumble into it. I don't know why they didn't just release this when they first released the Blu-ray and DVD back in January. Um, 
they took, you know, four months to put a UHD version together. I don't know. And it's not like it even contains, like, the black and white version, which has been going around. Like, it's just the exact same release that was out in January, but Ultra HD. Well, Carterian, I mean, or whatever company ends up putting it out on Blu-ray, they don't do UHD, right? (laughs) No, they don't. I mean, not yet, at least. I don't know if they're going to get into that market at some point. I mean, I assume they're going to have the black and white version on that release whenever it comes out. um, Oh, yeah. Guys, just set your saturation to to zero it'll look in black and white. it'll look great in black and white. i know i i don't know i don't know why people wanted black and white but people you know it's making the rounds in black and white now so uh we also have action of the tiger and you know there's a whole bunch of one archives releases here action of the tiger rachel and the stranger sweet bird of youth these are films that i have never seen yeah uh well action of the tiger i know is sort of like a 50s action movie that Terrence Young made. So he was uh, one of the Bond directors. He did like Dr. No and Thunderball from Russia with Love. So yeah, he did some of the original ones. Um, I don't know. It's got Van Johnson. It's like your typical 50s sort of spy, I don't know, spy action thriller. I Yeah, clear, clearly I'm really familiar with this title. Everywhere um, uh, you look up, it's a Cinemascope. Cinemascope. Like, Cinemascope know, was exactly, a big right? selling point for this movie. Uh, Rachel and the Stranger is a Western that stars Loretta Young, William Holden, and Robert Mitchum, and is directed by Norman Foster, who's probably most famous for having his name on Journey into Fear, a film that was supposedly directed by Orson Welles, who co-stars in the picture. And he's just kind of like a journeyman kind of guy. Uh, I'm not familiar with this Western film, and Mark hates Westerns, so he definitely can't speak to it. Yeah, so clearly I haven't seen it. Uh, People love Robert Mitchum in Westerns, so this is definitely... Oh, yeah. And he put Robert Mitchum in any Western, it will sell well here. Well, I don't know if I could put him in a Western anymore, but I'll try my best. Oh, you you can still put him in Westerns, all right? Is Chris Mitchum still around? (laughs) He's just as good as Robert (laughs) Mitchum, right? We also have uh, Sweet Bird of Youth, which sounds like a wonderful title and that I have no information in front of me right now. Oh, well, this is the uh, Tennessee Williams adaptation, uh, one of his plays with uh, Paul Newman again. So it was kind of a uh, reunion between director Richard Brooks, Paul Newman, and Tennessee Williams after uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. So they got together and did Sweet Bird of Youth. I believe this one wasn't as well liked as Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Is that cat dead? <laughs> oh, it's a long dead. Long, long <laughs> yeah. dead. I mean, it was on a hot tin roof. The cat ate the sweet bird of youth. Now it's trapped on a hot tin roof. <laughs> Wait, did Tennessee Williams have like a naming scheme? There has to be an animal in there. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like um, all the giallos that came out. It's like um, <laughs> lizard on a boat of sluice. Yeah. It's like sluice isn't even a word, Tennessee. He's like, I'm like Shakespeare. I can just make up whatever I want. <laughs> so he just wanted to make giallos is basically what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it was. We also have Reflections of a Golden Eye, the John Houston film. And it's this week's Blind, Blind Bye. 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 Blind Bye. <laughs> decided to go clear. Yeah. Yeah. Again what, this week. So what are we, intellectuals here? This is like the second classic <laughs> film in a row we've cho- we've chosen. No killer dolls or anything. Reflection of a Golden Eye is kind of uh, infamous as a trash classic or a you know classic that was butchered by the studio because John Huston uh, shot this film with a gold filter 
and uh, the studio changed their mind after it had played poorly for a few weeks and just re-released it in color. Yeah, I think it was after just one week, actually, it played in theaters. Wow. Yeah. This is back in the day where theaters would release a film and open it slowly in, like, a bunch of, like, you know, the intellectual cities, like New York, and then open it wider and wider as it went along so it could make changes when things really didn't work out. It stars Marlon Brando and Elizabeth Taylor and a very naked Robert oh my God! in is- his first movie. <laughs> Role. Is he ever? I know, riding that horse around too. <laughs> and the film is about everybody has these um, sexual hangups, whether it be like Marlon Brando is dealing with his repressed homosexuality, and Elizabeth Taylor is just, I don't know, a terrible person cheating on Marlon Brando as yeah, well. Yeah, she's annoying. Jeez. <laughs> so, what did you think of this movie, Mark? Did, did you watch it in its gold vision? I did watch it in the gold vision because, you know, I feel like that's the way it was meant to be seen. And any director that wants to, like, shoot or have their entire movie gold hued because it reflects the mood of the picture is is okay by me. I mean, I guess what I was reading, the gold hued version is the one that's always been available on DVD. Yes. So actually the has. big get even though, you know, the studio initially reverted back to the color version, that hasn't been available for a long time until mm-hmm. now. So this yeah. Warner Archive release finally has both versions on two different discs. Um, I don't know. I like the gold hue version. I mean, I, I'm sure it looks yeah. fine in color too. I, I kind of like the look of it. I think it does kind of fit the vibe. The movie, I don't know if I was a huge fan of this one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it feels kind of like a semi-sequel to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yeah. In the same way that, um, you know, Humphrey Bogart starred in all those films that are like, it's kind of like Casablanca. Right? Yeah, I think I like the idea of it a lot. I love, you know, a bunch of people with sexual hangups. And I think it does go for a lot of things that were obviously pretty, I guess, uh, provocative at the time. Like, yeah, Marlon Brando dealing with his repressed homosexuality. Like, that was provocative at the time, even though it shouldn't have been. And I think, and it's interesting how he's dealing with that. And I, I like Robert Forster's character just stalking around. And... Kind of like an alien throughout. And they just, they reveal through one line of dialogue that like, oh, his father said that women had a disease and that he couldn't touch yeah, them. Yeah, right. And it's like, I, I was like, wait, his um, squad mates know this information? Yeah, it seems right? very specific. Yeah, I found it, it was a little hard for me to get a grip on the world, I guess, too. It like kind of, I didn't understand the world a lot at first, but then you sort of sink into it. I just, it's one, it's like that middle ground between where it's like got a lot of trashy kind of elements, but it's not pushing them to the extreme that much. And it's kind of holding back for as much as the Robert Forster, I think with the Robert Forster stuff, that's like, the most outrageous it gets with his stuff but the rest of it kind of didn't go there as uh, much as don't i don't you to. mean marlon brando's accent oh my god which yeah. is, <laughs> I, he looks like tom hardy in this movie does, as well yeah. and he sounds like tom hardy <laughs> doing a crazy yeah accent. you know i'm always down for a good hammy like 60s era marlon brando performance and i liked him in it i, I liked him and you know i liked elizabeth taylor she's you know chewing the scenery too I think it ultimately just kind of goes where you think it's going to go, though. I, I didn't get... I mean, I do love the final scene where it, like... Uh, you mean the final shot? <laughs> yeah. And the credits roll over it. People, if you haven't seen the movie, you gotta yeah, see I don't like, this final... Because it's nuts. Yeah, it's worth watching just for the final shot alone. Um, but I feel like you kind of expect that it's going to go there, though. So I wouldn't... It wasn't as shocking for me as maybe it was to people seeing it for the first time. I don't know if it's just because times have changed and we've seen so much since then. I don't know. I mean, I can see why it has its fans, though, at the same time. There's a lot of 
juicy acting performances in it and it has a nice look to it so i can't say it's it's a bad movie by any means. if i had bought it as a blind buy and knew what the movie was i don't think i'd be disappointed because it's exactly what i thought it was gonna be that's true yeah i think it's something i would probably you know rent for i have to admit like shamefully i was looking through john houston's filmography after and i have barely seen any john houston movies so this is one of the only john houston movies i've ever seen wait so have you seen the maltese falcon nope Asphalt Jungle? Nope. Oh my god. Mark. I know. Come on, those are basics. I know. Feel free to shame me in the comments, pillory me, everybody. I'm I'm a bad <laughs> I'm a bad pillory cinephile you. here. No, seriously, I was looking through his filmography. I'm like, John Houston, what have I actually seen from him? Not much, clearly. Not Annie? much. Nope. Yeah, you do hate musicals. I do hate musicals. I think I've only seen like one or two of his movies, and honestly, I can't I haven't seen The African Queen. Can you believe that? Like I haven't seen Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Like, there's so many classic movies he's made that I have not seen. So, I need. If only you worked in a video store that had them all on the show. Yeah. So, Tin Cup is also being put up by Warner Archives. <laughs> yeah, let's get to the real classics here. Yeah, you've definitely seen all of the films directed by this guy, right? <laughs> I actually have not. I'm not that familiar with Ron Shelton. I know he was like the sports, the sports comedy guy for a while. Um, but I've never seen Bull Durham, and I guess this is sort of like a, I don't know, a follow-up to Bull Durham in some sense. Wait, only... you've never seen White Men Can't Jump? No, I've never actually seen that one. I know. What about Hollywood Homicide? <laughs> no, I haven't. Never never got around to that. I've seen Play It to the Bone with uh, Antonio Banderas and Woody Harrelson. That was a terrible film. But I know Tin Cup is kind of liked by people i'm surprised we've actually sold a number of copies of this so far it feels like one that plays on tbs all the time and that's why people know it i just remember the poster being ubiquitous when it came out like i just remember seeing it everywhere Um, i think one of the characters name is tin cup is it really (laughs) i thought that was slang for golf something golf related it is because uh, aren't they air traffic controllers? I remember that. Oh, that's Pushing Tin. Are we thinking? Of, oh, that's, I'm confusing it was Pushing Tin. That's a different tin. movie. I have seen Pushing Tin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a terrible film too, though. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, wait. The guy's name is Pushing Tin, right? Something like that. I don't know. They push tin because they push airplanes around? I have, I don't know. All right. So, I mean, if you want this, you're going to buy it. We don't need to sell it to you. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Enemies, a love story is being released by Sony. What's this, This Mark? is a strange one. So, uh, this is a Paul Mazursky film. Um, right. Which is kind of... Everybody loves Paul Mazursky, right? Um, what is the one with Woody, Her- uh, with Woody Allen where he plays like an L.A. scumbag? Oh, uh, what is that one? <laughs> That's the It's the like front? scenes from a mall, right? Oh, scenes from a mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. That's what it is. So this one, I don't know, this is a bit of a more underseen one. It's a period piece comedy with Angelica Houston, Lena O'Lynn, and Ron Silver. You all remember Ron Silver? <laughs> I love Ron Silver. Blue Steel, um, the pilot that never got picked up, uh, Heat Vision and Jack, where he plays himself as Ron Silver. Um, so this is made in the late 80s. It actually was nominated for three Oscars back in the day. It's based on a it's based on a f- novel by uh, Isaac Bashevi Singer, who was a pretty famous author who wrote like Yentl, the book that, you know, that was based on. He's a pretty famous, uh, yeah, pretty famous author. So I think the book was well known at the time and it was just kind of like a prestige release. Hasn't really gotten much of a um, 
like a home video release since then, so it's nice that it is finally out on Blu-ray. Well, I have something embarrassing to tell you, Mark. I haven't seen that many Paul Mazursky films. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Paul Mazursky, John Huston, who can keep up with these guys, right? Uh, uh, I was hoping that you'd jump in and be like, he's one of my favorites. How could you have not seen any of these movies? Like Bob, Ted, Carol, and Alice. I don't think I've seen many Paul Mazursky movies either, honestly. You know what? I did order uh, Bob, Ted, Carol, and Alex in that crazy Twilight Time. Right. Did you, you know what I got in that? I got Rapid Fire what? with Brandon Lee. <laughs> so did I. I got Rapid Fire I think as well. they moved so many copies of Rapid Fire on that day, more than they ever did before. Uh, Urban Cowboy, I guess, is being put out uh, under that Paramount No, line. it's just a regular Paramount release, this one. <laughs> what the I hell know. is this? It's got a nice slipcover, though, that's kind of, like, neon-tinged, so at least there's that. But it's not that, like, Paramount No, the Paramount Presents, it's not. It, it looks kind of like that, so I can see why people are getting confused much cheaper though it is like a brand new restoration i've never seen urban cowboy uh but you know what i think i will be watching this soon because i'm doing like a monthly john travolta appreciation piece and i kind of want to i think now's the time to look to look back on urban cowboy i i have to ask though why is this movie two hours and 15 minutes long oh my god because <laughs> I was going to watch it this week in preparation that I came to the time and I'm like, ah, I don't have time for this. But right you now. did watch, as we move to the new stuff, Agent Toby Barks, right? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> if by watch you mean I threw it on in the store while I was doing other tasks, then... Mm -hmm. Is John Voight in this one? John Voight is not in this one. Surprisingly, you'd think he would pop up at some point. Um, this is Dean Cain and John Lovitz, everybody's favorite uh, Donald Trump supporters. Oh, is John Lovitz a Donald Trump supporter? Apparently. I didn't know that, but uh, a co-worker here informed me of that when I had it on in the store. He said, I've heard some like nasty stories about John Lovitz, which is really funny because he's John Lovitz, star of High School High. Exactly. And you know what? We'll always have the critic, and he's great we on will. that show. Yeah. You know, I love John Lovitz, and it's funny, and his vo he does the voice of the dog in this, just so we're clear. <laughs> Um, oh, it is, so he doesn't morph into the dog or no, anything like he is, that? No, he's just the dog. And unfortunately, they don't really... It's not like a talking cat where they try and, like, move the mouth or something. Oh, it's just, that's sad. You just have a dog and John Lovitz's voice, and it's just kind of, like, narrating the dog's thoughts, I guess. Um, I don't know. I had this on in the background. It's your typical, like, David DeCoteau-esque type production. Although it's not as low-grade as that. It's a little... Slicker? A little slicker, I would say. Someone messaged me and was like, is this part of the Agent Toby um, Banks universe? And I was oh, like, I don't Bank. think it is. Yeah, I think they were trying to hope people would get confused by that. Um, Who has nostalgia for Agent Toby? That's a thing, right? <laughs> there were two movies, though. There were two, In that yeah. series, yeah. You know, Hilary Duff I mean, was in those, too. That was, uh... Wait, what's the name of the guy from Alchemy in the Middle who stars in that? Frankie Muniz. Frankie Muniz, yeah. I mean, you know they made another Big Fat Liar, like a straight-to-DVD sequel? They did. They did make yeah. another Big Fat Liar. <laughs> <laughs> so we also have Watchmen, uh, the HBO miniseries, and Harley Quinn season one that are being released by HBO Warner. Watchmen, great. If you like the graphic novel, you're going to love the TV show. Very respectful. It's actually all about... Um, the black experience in America, which uh, is very topical in the sense that it's in the news now, even though that it's always topical because it's always important. And yeah. people like to make fun of David Lindelof and Lost 
and the screenplays that he wrote yeah. uh, for terrible movies. What's funny about it is that all the screenplays he wrote were completely different from the movies that were made, like Prometheus and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it was good. And Harley Quinn uh, is an animated show, but the gimmick is that it's like an R-rated animated show. So the yeah. characters are swearing and there's violence. And yeah, it's fun. It's funny. Uh, if it interests you, check it out. Cool. Uh, and by that, I mean Mark will check it out, right? You're going to yeah. watch Watchmen and Harley Quinn season one. <laughs> of course, I haven't seen either of these. so I mean, I heard Watchmen was really good, though. I, I yeah, am a really little good. more intrigued Yeah, than that. but it's superheroes and also television, so you're like, no thank Yikes. you. Yikes, yeah, that's going to be a tough one. <laughs> uh, the Blackout, Invasion Earth is being released by Shout. I have no idea what this is. Yeah, this is a... Show Factory's got this thing going with, like, big-budget Russian sci-fi yeah, movies Yeah, they do, right don't now. they? Doesn't Wellgo do it, too? Yeah, Wellgo also has kind of cornered the market on that. So this one, yeah, it, it's a huge budgeted Russian sci-fi movie from last year. I'm not familiar with the directors or anything. I mean, again, it looks like a generic sci-fi movie just done in Russia. So I don't know. They kind of market it to make it look like I think they try and confuse people and make people think it's like an American movie or something, too, which it's not. Um there's definitely a market for these, though. People love sci-fi, and these things always seem to sell really? for us. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So we also have greed coming. That's all I got, man. Yeah, these Russian right. blockbusters. That's all I got too. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> like yeah. they're not good. <laughs> like that superhero one that people were all excited about. I was like, oh gosh, it's not going to be good. Right. Yeah. Uh, we also have greed coming out for by everyone's favorite experimental uh, kind of. You know, mainstream filmmaker that nobody watches, Michael Winterbottom. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see this, though. I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I really like his collaborations with Steve Coogan. I think that's like, I think that's where Michael Winterbottom's at his best, personally. Um, so you mean like the Trip movies? The Trip movies, 24-hour party people I really, really like. Um, and Tristram Shandy is a lot of fun. Um, haven't gotten around to this, but it's like Steve Coogan playing ob an obnoxious billionaire in Greece, which like has got to be great. I, I love Steve Coogan. I think he's... Have you watched the Alan Partridge TV shows? Yeah, I watched it here and there. I haven't wa gone back to watch it recently, but I grew up with it because my family watched a lot of British comedy and stuff, so... Yeah, he's always kind of been a presence. I, I just love him. I think he's so funny. Supposedly a terrible person. <laughs> Is he really? Yeah. Because it's weird. He's so self-deprecating about it. He seems to be aware that he's like an obnoxious celebrity yeah, in a lot of his worse, movies. Yeah, that's worse, isn't it? Someone who's aware that they're obnoxious? I didn't know. Yeah, I thought maybe that would mean he's actually kind of a decent person, but maybe not. I love Tristram Shandy. That movie is so good. I love him in Hamlet, too, as well. Big fan of that movie. <laughs> really? Hamlet, too? I thought it in theaters. Oh, I love Hamlet, too. It's probably one of my favorite of his performances. It's so ridiculous. Uh, Mark, this sounds like a movie you've seen. Zombie Child, being released by Film Movie. I have seen this how did you know <laughs> i've gotten that like if it's foreign and <laughs> is already based and i mean zombie's child got some really good notices that's yeah. what the outlets that you write for they know that you like you'll write oh, it so yeah. like uh, just toss mark on it yeah well i actually did see this one back at tiff and i did write it up for the outlet that i write for so you're bang on the money there uh this is the new bertrand bonello film he's a pretty cool french director he made uh Things like um, House of Pleasures, uh, Nocturama from a couple years ago, which was really good. Um, Saint Laurent he made. Uh, he's made a lot of great movies. Uh, this one's really interesting. It kind of takes place, part of it takes place in Haiti and has to do with kind of like voodoo there. And then part of it takes place with a Haitian girl who's in a boarding school in in France and basically how that kind of affects her life there. So it kind of crosses between these two different narratives. Um, really interesting. It's really cool. It's like one of those movies that's like sort of 
got horror movie elements to it and he does it really well but mostly it's kind of like an arty french film um i really like his style though i think he's super cool and um <laughs> you keep saying he's super cool <laughs> like do you think he's gonna listen to this and he's like yeah well, Mark i know please I'm cool. i hope i'm gonna become best friends with him so it's weird though he makes a lot of movies that are like really hip and really cool and and deal with youth culture especially like nocturama was like that uh, but he is like an older gentleman. I remember seeing him at TIFF one year for, for Nocturama, and he's definitely, he's older. Hello, so he's, fellow kids. Yeah, exactly. He's like Steve Buscemi. <laughs> uh, but no, I really highly recommend this film. I thought it was really, really we cool. We also have Milford Graves, Full Mantis. Yeah, haven't seen this one, but uh, an arty documentary about a experimental jazz musician named uh, Milford Graves. Uh, don't know much about him. I know he's got a pretty big fan base, and this kind of apparently is more of like a poetic austere kind of documentary look at him it's the kind of thing that cinema guild would usually release so if you're into that kind of thing uh or if you're into him as a as a jazz musician i would say definitely we check. also have you know our man hong sang su with his new film or of his i don't know four ten movies of this year yeah <laughs> grass i uh, haven't seen this one nope <laughs> you make so many yeah. movies can't keep people, up yeah people really love hong sang su and i just I can't keep up with him. I just like I keep wanting I to get into his stuff. I thought that he would have been perfect, Mark. Like, well, the couple I've seen, the couple I've seen, I've liked. Um, I do get the sense that he's kind of like a Jim Jarmusch, Woody Allen esque type. Like that's kind of his vibe. And I don't know. I, I think the couple I saw, I did like, but it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, I kind of, I gotta get this guy's style, and then I just never. Whenever he has a new movie out, I don't really, like, jump to go see it. Although I know he's got, like, a huge fan base. People really love his stuff. And he cranks these movies out. Like, some of them are only, like, barely over an hour. And they, like, yeah. like And he shoots them in, like, a couple of days, too. Yeah. Like, it, it's just, you know, oh, I'm in Con. I'll just make a movie. You know, yeah, whatever. You know? They're improvised anyway. Like, slow zooms in, digital zooms. The exactly, right? So I like that do-it-yourself kind of spirit. Um, I can't. So we also have Better Days and The Man Standing Next. There are uh, two Asian films. One of them, Better Days, from... China, the other one, the man standing next from Korea. I know nothing about them. Well, go MPI, putting them out into the world. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Better Days, I've actually heard really good things about. Uh, that played a bunch of festivals. It's kind of like a coming of age crime fantasy kind of movie about a young girl who gets uh, tied up with a criminal and she gets caught up in his criminal plans while she's trying to like study for her finals. I've heard really great things about this one from people I know have seen it. So. That one, I think, is a little bit, you know, they do release a lot of films, especially a lot of Chinese films that you've never really heard of and aren't really that great. But I think this is a little bit more independently spirited film. Uh, the Man Standing Next, I don't know much about. Yeah, it's a Korean, like it's a throwback to like, it's like a 70s espionage thriller to do with like the CIA in Korea and everything. It looks cool, but it just came out this year, like even in Korea. So I don't know. It hasn't really gotten a lot of exposure, I guess, because of you know, the COVID situation and everything. So I think it's kind of just hitting VOD and DVD platforms and stuff now without many, like, reviews to back it up. And completely unrelated to those movies, we also have More Beautiful for Having Been Broken being released by Wolf. Have you seen this one, Mark? I haven't. It, it is kind of a big deal. It's directed by Nicole Kahn, who is a pretty um, big, I guess, pretty recognizable uh, lesbian filmmaker in the U.S. She made a film called Claire of the Moon in the 90s, which was kind of a big independent hit. Uh, and she's been steadily making films on like a really independent basis since then. Um, I will say that this one's got kind of an interesting cast. It's got Kay Lenz in it. 
uh, Haley Jane Koza. Kay Lenz was in. I don't uh, know any of these people. <laughs> uh, Kay Lenz was in House, like the '80s House movies. Oh, uh, really? And it's also got everybody's favorite funny man, French Stewart. <laughs> what? French Stewart? I heard he got that eye opening surgery. <laughs> Did he really? No. <laughs> I fell for that hook, line, and sinker. Like, can you imagine? And his like, eyes are like super wide. <laughs> no way. Any... French, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, my agent said I got it a new look, but I destroyed what made me special. Uh, so yeah, he still shows up in independent films, I guess. Well, that's good. I feel like he's a guy you'll see in like some like sleazy slasher film and he'll be like the killer in it. <laughs> so we also have Tigers Are Not Afraid. Uh, this was a big deal and it's taken forever to come out. Out on yeah. DVD. Well, because Shudder had the rights to it, right? And it's about a bunch of young children who are kind of meeting ghosts and being chased by drug dealers. Really good. Very reminiscent of the work of Guillermo del Toro. Like, basically yeah. like ripping off the ghosts uh, okay. in his movies. Yeah, it's good, yeah, though. Yeah, that's what I kind of got the feel from. I, I had meant to see this. actually, like, went on the last day it was playing in theaters in Toronto, and it was sold out. Like, it was selling out, like, that whole week, I remember. Um, and then, yeah, it's taken forever for it to come out. It's in a nice, you know, steelbook package, I will say that, for all you steelbook fans out there. So Yeah, I love steelbooks. And you know what? It's a Shutter release that's actually good, right? We talk? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is. I mean... Uh, One Cut of the Dead is coming out next week, a.k.a. Yeah. Uh, it's out by the time you listen to this, so yeah. that's another good Shutter release. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. We also have a triple bill of horror, Behind You, One Bedroom, and Witches in the Woods. Well, I can, I can take the lead on these. <laughs> have you watched them all? I watched one and a half of these, I'll say that. <laughs> so I watched Behind You, which is a mirror horror movie. <laughs> so you had to watch it as we've already covered in previous episodes. And it's literally like, it's one of those movies that's like the cover says behind you. And there's like a girl on the front and then like a ghost in the back behind her, you know? It's yeah, like, I get it. <laughs> Thanks for explaining it to you, me. Did you get it though? Did you really get it? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, maybe break it down a little bit slower. <laughs> yeah. So the ghosts are behind her in the mirror. Um, anyways, <laughs> so uh, this is... Can they hurt really... her if she doesn't turn around? <laughs> yeah. You know what? This movie's terrible. I'm just going to throw it out there. I There's not even that much mirror action in it. All the actors are bad in it. It's like... <laughs> I Maybe, yeah. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting, but... Yeah, it's a it's a terrible mirror horror movie, and we've talked a lot about mirror horror movies on these on this podcast. So I'll move on. Uh, one br, I started one beer, <laughs> one burr, <laughs> Aaron Burr. They're trying to ride that Hamilton train. Yeah. So this one played some festivals like Fantasia. I heard some good things about this. It's basically about a wo- a young woman who moves to Hollywood. Gets uh, an apartment and, and everybody's really friendly in this apartment complex and she feels welcome at first. But clearly, you know, there's something going on. This movie was really stupid, I have to say. I, I don't know. I To the point where I just honestly turned it off halfway through because I was just getting bored Put with it. Put the claws away, I know, Mark. I know. I'm sorry. I mean, the problem is it's like it sets up, you know, the first half hour, this young woman moving to this apartment. She's basically from like the Midwest or something. She's like naive. Her parents don't want her to leave. They don't like her in the big city. She's like out on her own, but she's so like meek and shy that it's hard to like, you can't really get into her as a character. You don't really know anything about her. And then at like the half hour mark, uh, the plot shifts and it becomes something else that's more akin to, I don't want to say torture porn, but maybe along the lines of that a little bit. And 
at that point, I was just kind of over it because I see what he's trying to do with this. He's trying to make some commentaries on cult-like behavior and, like, the idea of, like, being a good neighbor and all this. But the way he does it is just, like, he, he needs... He makes you sit with this lady as she's getting, like, psychologically and sometimes physically tortured. And you don't know, you don't feel enough for this character in the first place to even really go along with this. So I just don't really know what the point of it is. It's, again, it's like, it's a male writer-director, like, writing a female character who has literally no agency. And I just feel like we've seen this kind of movie so many times that... I don't know. I'm just over it. I be. I feel so like you'd I, recommend behind you over one bed. You know what? At least behind you was like stupidly funny, and like at least behind you didn't like. I wouldn't say one br offended me, but it's just like if you're gonna write, if you're a dude and you're gonna write a female character, like I don't know, give her some agency. <laughs> I just I feel like I've been watching a lot of horror movies lately, written and directed by dudes that all that insist on having female characters be the lead, but they either play them like they're 14 year old girls or they're just like, they completely are like blank slates with no, you know, what's a great film that was written by and directed by a dude that has women protagonists that have agency impossible horror available. at Exactly. And I would agree. No, honestly, I think you did a much better job giving your characters agency and just like character personality that you can go along with them. And a lot of these, I don't, I don't even think these directors are doing it consciously. I think it's just like they don't – they have a concept and they're just so in love with the concept that the character is just second nature. And a lot of the times it happens to be a female character. So it just makes it that much So worse. we also have Witches in the Wood, which I already mentioned from Shout. I'm surprised you didn't go with like the classier um, yeah, you know, label. I mean – well, this is a Canadian film, so, you know, you can go either way on that one. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I heard kind of middling things about this one, so I didn't really I didn't really go for it. But I don't know. It is a Canadian film. I, I'm sure there's, you know, fans of the, the direct <laughs> friends of the director out there that. <laughs> Ooh, ouch. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I feel I'm not even trying to be mean. I'm sorry. I know it's really hard to get movies made. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, director of Witches in the Woods that I don't know. I haven't seen the film, so I can't say anything about hey, it. Hey, if it's great, I will champion it because I love championing Canadian yeah. films. And if I don't like it, I shall be quiet about it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. So did you see Sea Fever? No, I didn't. But I heard really good things about this. Yeah, I've heard it compared to like stuff like The Thing, uh, where it's like a bunch of people are, I believe they're on a like um, like a big research boat or something like that. It's like a troll. It's a trawler. Yeah. Whatever that is. And there's like a weird infection going around. But then somebody else told me that like, it's not like, it never pays off the way you want it to. Uh, So I'm like, Oh, so it's like the thaw that Val Kilmer film in the after dark series. (laughs) Right. I've seen the thaw. (laughs) I know you have, (laughs) you know, I've seen that. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I am interested because enough people liked it that it sounds intriguing. And now with my expectations in check that there's not going to be like a big monster. It's like, ah, at the end of it. We also have, oh man, it's been a while, but our favorite guy is back. Robert the Killer Doll in Robert the Bruce. I wish this was the new Robert. Oh no. (laughs) I'm sorry to disappoint you, Justin, but Robert the Bruce is not a haunted doll movie. It's actually a medieval action movie, I think. Uh, Yeah, it's with Angus McFadden. Angus Grimm. I'm like, whoa, he's back from the dead. (laughs) Yeah. 
I don't know. It's like the story of a nobleman turned outlaw hero. I guess this was a real guy. He was the crowned the king of Scots in the 14th century. Clearly, I don't know anything about medieval history. How but does medieval history do for you guys? Really well. Like, this film has done really well for us because, you know, older folks love this kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about it. It's you know, it's your typical kind of, like, medieval-y prestige action movie made in Britain. So we also have uh, Stray Dolls, a 2019 film being put out by Samuel Goldwyn. I am not familiar with this one either. And I could not even get that much information looking at it up online, other than the fact that um, the tagline is, One petty crime spirals into the next. Yeah, I don't know. This is kind of like a youth suspense crime thriller um but yeah i don't know much about it i heard something it was playing some festivals and i heard some good things about it but i honestly i got nothing else for you i got nothing for you on usually this one. if you see something being released directly by samuel goldwyn i'm like hmm i know they seem to be like a last resort kind of company they do yeah they've put out some good things though in the past like they put out um most Beautiful Island, which was a really good film from a couple years ago. And they so they do give kind of a voice to or get an outlet for some of these like smaller indie films that play some festivals but don't get the big distribution. They give them a little bit of room to breathe and get a release out there. But yeah, I mean, Samuel Goldwyn was like, I don't know what the state like. I don't know who really owns Samuel Goldwyn these days or what the status How of it is. How is Samuel Goldwyn the person doing these days? I know, right? It's actually still Samuel Goldwyn. He's like three hundred years old because <laughs> he started the company when he was a hundred, or no? Exactly. He started the company when he was two hundred. Got caught in some time loops. That's why he's three hundred. He's a vampire. Samuel Goldwyn is a vampire. Speaking of this, uh, Star Trek Short Treks is being released by Paramount. So I have not watched the reboot of Star Trek. I've heard middling sings and people saying they like it as well. They just say stuff like, you got to stick through until the second and a half season. That's when it starts being good. The second and a half season. Are you kidding me? (laughs) And these are the short films that I believe were released directly online. Yeah, it was like a web series component to Star Trek Discovery, I guess. Um, I don't know. Star Trek Discovery, yeah, it does really well for us here on on Blu-ray and DVD. Um, I don't know. I honestly, I'm not a Trekkie here. Are you a Trekkie at all? No, not really. I watched Voyager with my dad, and that was pretty. Yeah, much I watched it. Next Generation with my mom because she was a big fan. But mm-hmm. same here. That was kind of it. You know what? My dad's been watching um, Discovery, and he loves it. So okay, well, tell him to come on by and get a Star Trek short. Trek. <laughs> Has your mom been watching it? No, I think my mom stopped with Star Trek after Next Generation. I don't think. Or no, no, she did watch Voyager too. You're because she liked. Did she watch Deep Space Nine? That came. Between no, both she of us. actually made. She did not like Deep Space Nine because she thought it was too weird. She wasn't into it. The Good Place, the complete series, is being released by Shout. Uh, you know what? I may have to pick this up. I love The Good Place. People have been telling me to watch this since it started, and I haven't. Obviously, I don't watch TV, so you know where I'm at. Yeah. But no TV, no musicals, no exactly. Westerns. I'm very That's the Mark specific. All right. <laughs> Starts wide, goes narrow. Yeah. I love the premise of this show, though, I, I do admit. But you're a big fan of this? Oh, yeah, I love it. Would watch it every week that it plays. I'm surprised your partner doesn't watch this. This seems like something. She has more open taste than you have. She does. She, she's way more open than I am. <laughs> has she not watched The Good Place? No, she never has. We, Yeah, I mean, it's been kind of... I mean, there's so much TV out there now. I think it's just like... It's on the list of to watch and just haven't gotten around to it. I used it. to listen to the podcast every week. They'd have like a 90-minute podcast where they would talk about casting crew about the episode that just played. Great stuff. 
and just nailed its ending as well. Like they had one final season. They knew the season before would be their final one and they just planned it all out. So yeah, highly recommend checking it out. And finally we come to American Martyr (laughs) or AKA regarding the case of Joan of Arc. So this is a movie. I say finally, because it's like people have been waiting for us to talk about this. When Mark sent me this list two weeks ago, this film baffled me because I looked it up and I was like, wait a minute. The DVD cover makes it look like a really crappy, like, DTV action film. But the letterbox has, like, a really arty poster that, like, and the reviews are comparing it to, like, Bresson and stuff like that. I have to say, though, that review comparing it to Bresson and Fassbender, which is apparently attributed to Bill Jabiri from The Village Voice, who's, like, a really notable critic. I cannot find that review anywhere. <laughs> a- anywhere. I've typed it. Yeah. I tried to find it on Google. I'm like Village Voice Review, the guy's name review. I tried to take the quote and put it in. If this guy wrote this review or said it, it's not anywhere on the internet. Wait, but then the Village Voice shut down? Like its archives were pulled off the web, wasn't it? Uh, well, oh, did that happen? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not I sure. I believe it may have happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Maybe it was just like a print review that never is not online now or what. Like, I don't know where he saw it. Even on IMDb, there's no critic reviews. Like, I don't know where this quote comes from. You know from. that this movie was directed by the screenwriter of Paul Schrader's Dog Eat Dog, right? I do know that. Yeah, I looked him up after. Matthew Wilder. Yeah. So are you a fan of Joan of Arc movies? Because I am not. <laughs> not really. You know, I, I have to. This is clearly, I mean, this movie is clearly like a modern interpretation of like the passion of Joan of Arc, which is a film I've never actually seen in full. I have to admit I've seen, it's one of those movies I saw bits of in film school back in the day. And I've never actually sat down and watched the whole thing. But yeah, as for other Joan of Arc movies, I don't think I've really seen many. <laughs> like I, I mean, this is interesting in that it tries to do like a modern spin on it. And Joan of Arc is like a right wing conservative that like blew up a federal building. Yeah. So she's like an alt right terrorist. Uh, alt-right Christian terrorist who, yeah, is responsible for the ex- the um, destruction of a federal building at the beginning in a really hilarious scene where all these people are just like... Okay, so I'm going to say right now, I wrote a review for this movie and I posted it online and the director was like, hey, the film, the reason it feels so weird is that it's not my cut. The distributor actually recut it and released it against like our wishes and that footage i believe the distributor shot themselves and put interesting. in interesting i would totally believe that because it feels so out of place it just it almost feels like something out of a neil breen movie or something it's just so weird and then the explosion happens like off camera too and like a funny moment so i don't know then yeah like was there his initial cut did his initial cut play anywhere like it played yeah a bunch of film festivals past that moment there's definitely an artist trying to do something interesting and, yeah, make sort of like a passion of Joan of Arc for the fraught c- condition of today, the United States today. And, you know, casting her as this alt-right Christian terrorist and everything. And you've got – it's weird, though, because it does come off at times like he's almost like an alt-right guy himself. Like in some of the things he says about like, oh, the neoliberals are like waiting to like – they want her dead and everything – which I don't necessarily, you know, there's obviously problems with liberals. He could just too, be a far left um, progressive. Right. He could. I I just don't know what the takeaway from this movie is. I found a hard time grasping what he was actually trying to say with mm, this. But that's what great art is, isn't it? I mean, most of this movie is just her in her prison cell or in a courtroom just talking about uh, hearing voices from God telling her to blow up these federal buildings. 
and then a bunch of these like military type people trying to figure out what to do with her and like she's got all these fans yeah like nothing really happens in the movie like there's a promise of it like oh, are they gonna break around yeah it's kind of a slog to sit through i don't know did, did you enjoy this movie at all yeah, i thought it was interesting i thought it was more interesting because it felt so incomplete it, does. it feels like a work print like oh, the version that's on yeah. dvd like there's no almost no music there's no atmosphere or anything. Like the sound editing's really bad. Scenes go on a little too long too. Feels real sloppy, and I, I found that kind of fascinating. If it was a conscious choice, yeah. which it sounds like it wasn't. You know, I can't think of any other like art film that was like it sold like an action film. Can you imagine how disappointed somebody will be when they get home and they pop the scene? I know. Yeah, the cover is literally like it looks like it's Olympus has fallen or something with like the federal <laughs> yeah. building blowing up in her face. It's got some like action tagline. Yeah, anybody that rents this thinking it's going to be an action movie is going to be severely disappointed. Do you think they're selling it to the conservative base? Because American Martyr makes it sound like they are. Well, that's what I was kind of thinking because the company that put it out, ITN Distribution, we don't really get a lot of their stuff at the store because a lot of it is really trashy, vaguely conservative-looking filmmaking. I think they have put out some titles which are more like conservative or Christian films or like... I think they even put out like an anti-abortion film maybe at one point. So I don't think they have the greatest track record as a company. So it's really fascinating to me that they would pick up this really strange, low, low key, independent art film and try and market it like this. It almost is like they did see it and totally misread whatever the intention was here. And we're like, oh, we can sell this to like all right because all right people who like think that she is actually like a hero when it's clear that's not really what she is i mean it's the same thing with sinistate right like they made those conservative movies and those are also very slow and arty so maybe they thought they would make like the low budget equivalent of that i know but at least those still have action in them right like a little bit a little bit of violence more so than this. This is literally just yeah, people sitting around talking. This is the real low budget version of that. <laughs> I know. I will say the actor, the lead actress, really commits to this performance. She's actually, um, I can't remember her name offhand, but she was in the Twin Peaks revival. She played um, Dar- she played Daria for a couple episodes at the beginning, um, and then she's done some other indie films. She really throws herself into this performance, so I kind of admired that. Um, the other actors are not, not very great. good it definitely I mean, yeah hey, look, definitely. it's the guy that wasn't the famous actor in doggy dog right yeah that's who he was <laughs> yeah. of course <laughs> yeah. you know william defoe nicholas cage this bald white guy <laughs> the bald guy yeah <laughs> i mean doggy dog also i guess like kind of oh i don't like doggy no dog. and i think that is like a borderline almost like he definitely traffics in sort of offensiveness here and there and you know he so i i think this is kind of a more muted version of what certain things he was doing in Doggy Dog. And yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Doggy Dog either. I, I think I liked things about it, but I think ultimately it's kind of a failure. This one, yeah, I think I agree with you. I, I don't, I wouldn't say I necessarily liked it or would watch it again, but I do ad- appreciate certain things about it. And the fact that he was, something here was trying to get made. And I think it maybe got lost in, yeah, the way it got cut down or something, but there's something he was definitely trying to go for something. All right, so those are all the releases for this week and Base Food Video. 
uh, still, you need to call or send an email to make an appointment to pick up, right? We're still doing curbside pickups. We're uh, taking it uh, week by week right now. So we're look exploring some options to potentially let people into the store. The numbers at some aren't point, going down, Mark. They're I know. Not going won't be. Down. Oh no, I know. We're very aware of that we don't want to put anybody in harm's way, and we have we don't even have all of our staff back yet. So we're kind of working with a skeleton crew right now. So yeah, right now we're just keeping it to curbside pickups. We just want to make it as safe for everybody. But yeah, and on that note, I have one last thing to say. I got my new Blu-ray player recently. <gasps> oh, did you spin Sonic the Hedgehog? I christened it with Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes. <laughs> Terrible movie. No, Terrible great Jim Carrey performance. <laughs> Honestly, I hated it. <laughs> you would have loved it if you had watched it with me. Big smiles on our faces. Yeah, we just had a great time. Did you watch it alone at like 2 a.m. in the morning? No, I watched it with my partner and we both kind of had similar feelings. You know what? I will say Jim Carrey is the best part about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, he knows how to, like, make a line reading just pop so well. You don't like Sonic the Hedgehog being like, uh, you're probably wondering how I got here. Let me take you back. I know. <laughs> oh, I hated the narration. You know what? It's like, <laughs> I just want to see Sonic the Hedgehog. I just want to see Sonic run around in Sonic World. I don't need to see him on, like, planet Earth trying to, don't like... Don't you mean, uh, give out Olive Garden, um, gift cards? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. So good. The more you talk about it, the more I love it. You know what? Sonic was cute. I'll say that. Okay. Well, it was okay. I'm glad that you watched it, that you broke it in with um, Sonic the Hedgehog. I broke it in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess that's us until next week. Uh, my name's Justin Clip. And I'm Mark Hansen. Keep on buying. And keep on renting safely. Woo! It's what you want to watch. These movies and many more are available at your local video store.